mean, I want to I want to pick up where I was at two weeks ago. I've kind of created my own mini series on covenant, and uh, it's something that that I have just felt that is that we're there's a need to revisit some of these truths. Uh, sometimes there's there's a um, di- different things that kind of catch hold and. And especially in Christendom today, I think that it's very need-based preaching and ministry and trying to drill that down to where people live. And, um, and today is going to be more of a teaching. I'll go ahead and tell you that. And, it's, and so it's, it has some deep theological thought behind it. And, uh, but, but what I do know is that when we talk about the covenant, it is central to our relationship with God. You cannot get away from that God is a God of covenant. And, we, and all the way through the, the Old Testament, there are covenants that were in place. And, and some of those within the containing of those covenants, are eter- there's eternal things that were, were put in place. Some of them were, uh, like for instance, when we talk about Israel as a nation and as a people and us praying for, for, for Israel um, and receiving that blessing. God promised that land to them. It belongs to them. They're still his people. Come on. We, we, listen, we, 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 we don't believe in replacement theology around here. The church is grafted in. We better be thankful that we're even in on this <laughs> as Gentiles. And I'll touch on some more of that. But there, there are things that, that were put in place even in the old covenant in, in, in one phase or another through those covenants that uh, are still honored today. Now, it does lead us forward into the new covenant, and we'll talk about that. But when we think about covenant, you know, covenant, basically, it's a, it's a contractual agreement that, that we are brought into. And then in that contractual agreement, there are, there, there's a working of exchange that takes place. There's usually vows or words that are commitments that says, this is what I will do, and the other party says, this is what I will do. And we know that the highest uh, human form of that is a marriage covenant. So you go and you stand there at the altar of God, and you have a, typically a man of God that is there to lead them into the exchange of those vows that those two individuals, male and female, enter into a covenant. But it's based upon a promise or a commitment of exchange and faithfulness to honor that covenant. And so, in other words, this person's saying, okay, here's all of my worldly goods, here's all that I am, and I'm bringing that. And, 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 and now praying and believing that my strengths become your strengths and vice versa the other person does that so there's an exchange that takes place with God God did that over and over and over throughout the Old Testament and so you'll see the Adamic covenant the Noahic covenant you'll see and, and we still see signs of that right again one of those eternal ones under under Noah when after the flooding of the earth God gave us the promise the rainbow as a sign of the promise saying, I'll never flood the earth again completely to destroy it and, and, and wipe it out, right? So God keeps his word. He keeps his promise. But you see that covenant, you see the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and you start tracking over, and we finally end up into the new covenant. 
And so as I've started just kind of revisiting and studying and going back through this, there's been some interesting things that just kind of surfaced for me that I, I think have brought some revelation for my, for my own life. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm believing that these truths are going to be very powerful because ultimately it really has to be um, a, a proper covenant is typically done by the shedding of blood. Right? Even for that wedding night. It's supposed to be in blood. There, 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 there are things that happen in the exchange and for covenant. God, like I said, from all the way back to the beginning of mankind, when man sinned, God killed animals, took the skins, and clothed them. There was the shedding of blood for sin. That's covenant. And all the way through, we see that that continued into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, here's the, here's the, the, the strange thing that, that, that kind of took me as I started looking, researching here, is in the Gospels, you only have the word covenant basically in two spots. One at the beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, where it is referring to the Old Covenant. And then in the Synoptic Gospels, when it refers um, or uh, gets into to where Jesus is there at the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he takes the cup and sets it out there and says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And that's, that's the only places in the whole Gospels that you even see covenant. Very, very little in, in uh, the book of Acts, five times in all the epistles, up until you get to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, all of a sudden, and, and let, me, let me say this, because sometimes we, we mess up here. Sometimes we pick and choose scriptures, and we try to take one from over here and one from over there, and we, we try and make the Bible say certain things. That, but the reality is, every, every one of those books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Corinthians, all of them are letters to the church, or like Galatians was a region of churches that were there, an apostolic region that was there. But they were letters, and they, they, were specific, they were specifically dealing with certain things that were going on. And so you gotta, you got to take it in context. But it's a letter. I know that we break it down into chapters and verses and, and, and so that we can you know, kind of do our thing you know, sometimes and take our little, our little fortune you know, scripture out. And <laughs> but it's a letter. And sometimes, unless you read the whole letter, you don't get the full message. Because sometimes, uh, and primarily, we know it's Apostle Paul writing, he's, he's laying foundation, it, and there's, there's things that are being set up for what he's going to be teaching later by revelation. And if you, if you don't get that, and you don't process through that, you miss it. In the book of Hebrews, nine times the word covenant is used. 19 times. And in the book of Hebrews, when you really look at it, it's, it's one of the most amazing you know, theological books, I think, that, that, that exists because it gives us kind of a full track and picture. It starts, I mean, right off the bat in chapter 1 where it's like, look, God has spoken to you through his prophets, you know, through men of God in the past, but now he is speaking to us by his son, Jesus Christ. And he's getting our attention right off at the, at the beginning of that book. 
And then it starts tracking through. It talks about the righteousness of God. It gives some warning on unbelief from a place of the children of Israel not entering into the promised land, not entering into God's rest because of unbelief, which is uh, not just not believing. It's, it's the, the actual root meaning of that word is obstinance or disobedience. I'm not going to do that. And that's a dangerous place. And then you see where it goes over, he talks about the fundamental basic principles, the six foundational principles to the faith. Um, and, and, and then he begins to go over into um, the whole idea of, of Jesus being the high priest. And then by chapter 8, all of a sudden it kicks in and it starts talking about covenant. And we see covenant, covenant, covenant. And then chapter 11, it moves into the whole aspect of faith. And that all these great men and women of God of old were able to enter into, and, and many of them being declared righteous by God, not by their works, not by what they accomplished, but they accomplished things because they believed God. They operated in faith. They took God at his word. Powerful thing. And so as we, as we look at this this morning, we're going to read from a couple of uh, passages, but like I said, I'm just kind of going here. So I, I want to go to, to Acts 15. It's, it's actually con, one of, some of this passage is, is uh, one of Pastor Olin's favorite. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll see why here shortly because Pastor Olin is a worshiper. I mean, he worships God with, I mean, full on. Uh, if, if, years ago, if you ever went to their church, it was wild. I mean, they, it was like, wow. I mean, they, they were into it. And so you'll, you'll see why. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 8, it says, so, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Now, let, let me set this up. Acts chapter 15 is the church council meeting that's taking place because Paul and Barnabas had gone out. They got all these heathens saved. <laughs> now, I'm talking about blood-drinking, idol-worshiping, fornicating, open orgies in the street, heathens. Come on, some of you think you're big sinners. <laughs> Read about Corinth. You'll, be go- you'll look like Mary Poppins. <laughs> well, maybe somebody give me a newer model, you know. Uh, anyway, I won't try anything to think of that. All right. But in that... No, I mean, they were sinners. And so Paul and Barnabas, they'd gone out, they'd come back, they're giving a report, and they're like, man, God's doing awesome stuff among the Gentiles out here with the heathens. They're getting saved. What do we do? <laughs> and so they're having church council. I mean, discussion, heated discussion, it appears, broke out. They're, they're, they're carrying on about it. And, and look, at, look at what starts being said. It says, so God knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Very important. And made, and made no distinction between us and them. You know, it's a shame that, that so many races, they're, they're, they're trying to find their heritage and they're going back. Listen, you'll never find your identity and your heritage. 
You, what, what you'll find, it doesn't matter if you're European, if you're African, or if you're, if you're Hispanic, you know, it's back in Mexico or something. It, just going back, all you're going to find is more messed up people. All of us. <laughs> we better find our identity in Jesus, right? Okay, let's go on. So here he says, he says, and may no distinction between us and them. I'm sure that this Jewish this is Jewish leadership, you know, they, they, you know that have, have been saved, but I'm sure they're going, say what? You know, they're like, what are you putting us in that category, comparing us to that bunch? But here, I mean, just full on. Made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to hear or bear? But we believe that through the grace, look at this, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in this same manner as they. Through grace. Now, is grace an excuse for not living no. Living up to where we shouldn't? No. Does grace mean that somehow we do away with the law? No. Romans clarifies that. Apostle Paul writes that by grace we've been saved, yes. Do we do away with the law? No. He said you establish it rather. See, there, there's some interesting thought, you know, and there's some tension going on in the body of Christ right now. And there's these thoughts of, well, you just do away with it. Excuse me? I, I don't believe that. Some people are like, well, if you, if you look at the Ten Commandments and you, you, you lift that up and exalt that or you talk about that, you refer, then you just get sin-focused. It just causes you to sin more. Excuse me? Listen, we're a nation of laws. I still believe that those Ten Commandments ought to be posted at every courthouse. <laughs> they still, listen, they ought to be hung in every classroom. Just go back and... Re- Some of you probably don't even know, you can't even do the 10. Come on, how many right now you could say, hey, I can do the 10? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're called the covenant tablets. They are directly referred to of what... They were in the actual covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and are referred to the, as covenant tablets. Now, when we, when we look at this, and you, you think about this, um, see if I can get, get back on here. See, I, just like for all of us, you know, you've got to inspect what you expect. Let me say that again. Especially those of you that are employers and supervisor you got to inspect what you expect and if there's no standards if there's no goals if there's no you know expectations then yeah anything's good enough right and there's a lot of people that are that are trying to live their lives there even even years ago i remember doing a lot of street ministry years ago and one of the things i kept running into was hey don't bother me you know i'm not hurting anybody and I'm sitting there looking at this guy, him and his girlfriend, sitting on the hood of his car, and it looks like he already did a six-pack. 
and he's still drinking, and I'm thinking, and you're about to get in your car, you say you're not hurting anybody yet? Maybe not yet. But I said, but I remember asking this, this one young man, you know, because he was big into this argument, you know, over, over just let me do my thing, you do your thing, you believe whatever you want to, I believe whatever I want to. I said, so, so just basically, no moral absolutes, anything goes? Yeah. I said, okay. Boom. I just shot you and I'll take your girlfriend in your car. He's like, well, no, I didn't mean that. Like, well, you said anything goes. I mean, you believe what you want, I believe what I, I just, boom, you're dead. I take your girlfriend. And I mean, it was really, I could tell it was bugging him. I think the Holy Spirit used it. He really had a problem with the girlfriend thing. <laughs> Me getting his girlfriend, that was, a, that was bad news, taboo. <laughs> but it, it woke him up. See, see, we really don't believe that. Come on, we're a nation of laws. You have to understand this. Every nation has laws. There are laws. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, the law of God is good if anyone uses it correctly. Now here's the thing. That I, let's, let, we're going to read on here in just, just a moment. Because verse 12 says this. It says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them uh, among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, look here, you still have an apostolic leader that's there over the church of Jerusalem that had many congregations. And this apostolic voice rose up from in the midst of these other leaders and said, this is the word of the Lord, here's what we're going to do. It just, this is head and shoulders government. This is the way this thing works. God operates by theocracy. <laughs> I know we, 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 we always want to vote, right? It's like, well, Lord, I didn't vote on that. He don't care. <laughs> what he says, we just say, yes, sir. Right? Okay. And James answered and said, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it's written, look at this. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Not Solomon's temple, not the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. The difference in the tabernacle of David is it was not structured like, like Solomon's temple or even under Moses where it had the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. The, the way, during, during that 30-year window when David was there, he had the, that he possessed the, the Ark of the Covenant, it was set there and it was open where anybody could come directly into the presence of God. Whew. And that's what's being rebuilt. God wants each and every one of us to understand how to enter in to his presence. We're going, we're going to go some more in this. He says in verse 18, Know to God from eternity all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
and that we write, look at these things. So in other words, it's like, okay, we don't want to put a burden. They're just getting started in their Christian walk. These are heathens, idol-worshiping, I mean, fornicating, blood-drinking heathens. He's like, let's, let's only put these three things. Look at the three things. It says that they abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled from blood. Don't drink blood. What was he saying? I believe God was trying to protect us. Do you realize that God's not trying to mess up our fun? I have people, you know, they're in sin and they're enjoying sin. They're like, well, God just wants to mess up my fun. No, he's trying to protect us. And this is probably, I haven't heard anybody teach this. This, is, this to me, I believe, came out of revelation knowledge. And here's the three areas that, that they address for the Gentiles. If you could do these three things. Now, they're already, remember, they've already received the Holy Spirit. They're walking by faith. They've entered into this whole lifestyle of grace. But there's still a standard. There's still things that you need to be aware of that can destroy your life. These three things, these three areas is what they dealt with. Number one, don't get into idol worship. Listen, you start opening yourself up to just any God will do, and I'm into meditation on this and that, and, and you start doing that, you open yourself up for demonic spirits to begin to operate. What he's protecting us from is a transfer of evil. Number one, from demonic realm in spiritually as you worship other things. There's only one God. That's why the first one of the Ten Commandments is there is only one God. You're going to worship him and him only. And the second one in the, in the top ten, the big ten, was no carved images where you're falling down and worshiping whether earthly or heavenly things that becomes idolatry. No, God wants this thing to be real and genuine in our relationship with him. So he's, he's addressing this. Number one, don't open yourself up to those kind of demonic things operating in your life. Don't get into idol worship. Number two, stop, abstain from sexual sin, from the sexual promiscuity and all of that area that, was, that they were known for. Why? Because there's another transfer that happens. And a lot of times we're just thinking, well, yeah, it's sexual disease and blah, 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 and yeah, I understand. But... What a lot of people don't realize, there is soulishly also a transfer that Paul teaches about in 1 Corinthians. We refer to it as called soul ties. And if you continue to give yourself to other sexual partners, you attach yourself soulishly, and you don't always know what's being transferred either. And then sometimes you can't give yourself to your covenant partner because you have entered into other sexual relationships, and I'm telling you, there, there's a lot of people struggling in this area. And there needs to be some more freedom ministry and some severing of soul ties, and you may need to come up and get some ministry on, in that area. But the last one, he says, don't drink blood. Think about this. In the area, the blood circulates through the body, but it runs everything through the organs, through the liver and pancreas, you know, all those areas, because it's purifying. It's trying to, why? Because, because the blood takes the impurities, and if there is disease in the body, they say that you can always find it in the blood. 
I just had life insurance renewal. Pray for me. I got to sleep with one eye open. <laughs> you know, it's bad when you're like, you may be worth more dead than alive, right? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not worried that much. <laughs> and, but, but in that, what did they do? I, I was shocked. You know, I didn't do have this big, heavy physical. They just took blood. When they had me urinating a cup, but anyway. <laughs> but they were after the blood. They wanted to see the blood. In the blood, the impurities are there. If you take and drink blood, there can be a transfer of disease from the blood. And if we get the full revelation in this, God is protecting us, but at the same time, there are spiritual truths that Jesus fulfilled in these areas to satisfy spiritually, soulishly, and physically. Because you think about the blood of Jesus. We're talking about the blood covenant. The covenant that God made with himself. Oh yeah. See, this was the failure of the previous covenants. We'll look at it over here in Hebrews in just a minute. I may just have to hit these real quick. But in that, we know that God, all the previous covenants... None of us were able to hold up our end of the bargain. We failed miserably at every one of them. So finally, God goes, you know what? I'm going to make covenant with myself. That's why when you see Jesus come on the scene and he's about to go get baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist looks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God said, you know what, I'll provide my own lamb. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus shed his blood, think about this, because his blood was pure. His blood was holy. His blood was full of the life of God. His blood. Oh, see, when we partake of that blood, the blood of Jesus, when we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, because that's what has to happen is we have to come in by faith, by the very grace that God has provided to come into there and we accept the free gift personally, knowing that God, we can't get a personal covenant with God. Our covenant is based upon the blood of Jesus that God provided for himself. Because we can't live up to this thing. Now, is there basic things and is there things that we, we have goals for? You better believe it is. Because there's always consequence. Let's, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Let, let's look at this. So there was divine protection that really God is trying to protect us spiritually, soulishly, and physically from a wrong, bad transfer. And if we'll at least honor God in those three areas, don't worship idols, don't give yourself sexually to the wrong things, and thirdly, don't drink blood. Come on, everybody knows out here in West Texas, you kill that goat, you hang him upside down, let him bleed out. Or that deer, <laughs> right? Don't, get, don't do that. All right, Romans chapter 8. Verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent, speaking of Jesus, he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a 
better covenant, which was established on better promises. Come on, when God does it, God does it right. He tried with all these other guys to, to, to have covenant. Come on, think about it. We think about Abraham, and he's the father of our faith, and we, you know, he celebrated over in Romans, you know, that, that because he believed God, took God at his word, he's, got, he's, he's, he's justified, he's entered in to the righteousness of God, declared righteous, and yet, you know, it's amazing how God, when you do enter in and you, you have the blood applied, how he forgets stuff. I don't know about you, but that was worth saying amen right there. Because he was a cheat, a liar. I mean, sold his wife off, basically. I mean, for his own hide. I mean, he, and then he gives birth to a son that he's jacked up, messed up too. And then he, it, like it multiplies. He gets to Jacob. His name even means supplanter, deceiver, trickster. <laughs> it's, it's It's amazing. Even with these disciples and with the apostles, when we really study them, you'll see, man, these were some messed up dudes. Come on, there's hope for us. Right? So he says it's a better covenant with better promises. We'll have to catch that later. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And just following this, I believe chapter 9, this is quoted again. He's saying it and he says it again. That says it's important. We need to, we need to get that. It's important. The way he's saying it. And then he comes back and he says it again. He expounds a little more on it. It is vital for us to understand the blood covenant. What, is it, what does it do? Because ultimately, the blood covenant gave us specific things that the old covenant could not fulfill. Right, right in between those verses that, I, that I, I didn't read, it basically says that the first was, had faults and couldn't do certain things. Therefore, there was a need for the new covenant. Why? Because we couldn't live it. We couldn't measure it. We couldn't get there. Now, it doesn't take away the fact God's still looking for us to walk with him, to be with him. To, because here's, here's the thing. Here's what I believe the new covenant does. Three, three, three key things. I, I just want to give you these. Number one, it purifies our conscience. The blood of Jesus, when you truly accept Jesus as Lord of your life, based upon the covenant that God made with himself by the precious Lamb of God, with precious blood that was shed, when we accept that, the Bible says there's a cleansing of the conscience and there's this new and living way that opens up. You can be free 
in your mind, where your consciousness. Now, it, see, some are teaching. Well, that's the only way you get there is is by doing away with the law. Don't don't think about the law. Don't think about the rules. I mean, you know, you 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 just got to think about the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Excuse me. No, I still know that there is an expectation. And there are things that are there. Now listen, everything comes through the cross. Actually, it comes before the cross from Gethsemane to the, to the, uh, the beating, the whipping post, the dungeon, the, up to the cross, carrying the cross, on the cross, through the shedding of blood, the seven places that Jesus shed his blood. There are significant things that happen that those represent. But when we accept that, it's okay to understand, yes, there's a standard. Yes, there's something that God intends for us to live out with Christian conduct. But the rules don't cause us to get there, to be able to live up to it. The rules, it allows us to know here's what God's heart and his desire because if we, if we understand that, it protects us. Right? It protects our neighbor. Just go back and read. Read Exodus 20. Just, just look at the 10. Just the 10. Other things pass through the cross, pass through the blood. Something's changed on this side. I mean, remember the sheet that came down to Peter, you know, and there were unclean things, and God said, hey, you can take it and eat it. And he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. That'll defile me. He's still Jewish mindset. There had to be a pork chop on there somewhere. <laughs> pork rib. <laughs> and there's things that we know that pass through that may have changed in order but ultimately, there are things that didn't change. And we need to know those. And this is where I think we mess up. But even in the New Testament, there are clarifying areas just like those three areas so that, so that spiritually, soulishly, and physically, we are protected. But ultimately... He wants us to have a pure conscience. Because if, you if, you, if your conscience has been washed by the blood of Jesus, you'll stop hanging your head down and feeling so miserable as a failure, as a sinner. You'll, you'll start lifting your head up and knowing, man, God paid a precious price. And I can trust him with my life because of the blood of Jesus. There's forgiveness. There's redemption. There's sanctifying work happening in me. And my conscience can be clear by the blood. Number, number two, personal access to intimacy with God. We, we looked at it in the Davidic restoration of the Davidic tabernacle from Acts 15. But you see it throughout Hebrews connecting in this area to where by the blood of Jesus, we're able to come boldly into the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in time of need. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, not because of us. That's why God already picked a lamb, a perfect lamb, the only one that could fulfill the covenant. His name is Jesus.
And when we put faith and trust in Him, we're saying, now I can have intimacy with God. Because see, God's not satisfied. Remember the tabernacle of Moses? The whole concept of what happened in that, God, God didn't want it this way. He was wanting. He said, bring the people up here. Bring them up here. I want to talk to, I want to, talk to y'all. And yet, the people were so afraid of God that they said, Oh, Moses, you go talk to God. You come talk to us and tell us what he said and we'll do it. They were afraid of God. And they instituted this man between them. It didn't work. See, from the beginning of time, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them through the garden. He wants personal intimacy. He wants the relationship. Stop holding out on him. You've got you to carve out some time and get in his presence. It's like Miss Joanne said earlier. Man, you get in God's presence and just start honoring and worshiping him. I, it'll do it, the transformation. Your want-tos will change. You'll, you'll get his heart for every matter. And then, because see, something starts happening. See, early on, if all we, if, think about this even with children, because there's a process for children. Early on, you've got to have some pretty strong rules. Well, matter of fact, early on, you're, you're having to do everything for them, right? But as they grow, then you start teaching them rules, right? Don't stick your finger there or you'll get caught in the door, <laughs> right? And we're, we're, why? Because we want to love them. We want to protect them. Don't go play in the street. I don't know that mom ever told us that. We played in the street all the time. <laughs> it's a Lakeview thing. Anyway. <laughs> but there were rules. But as we grow up, if you've had good parenting boundaries, those rules, those things, all of a sudden you start taking on an identity of understanding I have a responsibility of representation of my family. And I want to honor them. And I want to do what's right by them. And all of a sudden, you're living out of this place of legacy. More Christians need to understand how to start taking on a place of living out a legacy. It's not about us. Who's coming behind us? What's going on? Generations are at stake. And all of a sudden, we, we, we start... But listen, the greatest thing we could, I think, give them is this understanding of the blood covenant and being able to have intimacy with God. That they see us in personal relationship with Him. And the last one is the power to live the spiritual life. See, here's the thing. The love and the grace of God doesn't, doesn't somehow excuse us No, the idea is that, okay, you may be a child, but you know what? As you mature and you grow up, all of a sudden you begin to really operate in this thing, and you begin to do what Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, in that region, and he said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, you've been given this amazing freedom. Don't use it for the liberty of the flesh. That's bad news. It'll put you back in bondage. That's what Paul said. But if we'll stay in this place with 
understanding that this blood, it'll purify my conscience. It's going to give me this whole intimacy with God. And now I've got a spiritual life that I've been restored to. And I, I can begin to walk in the Spirit and live life differently. Say, I believe we're in, we're in a, a pretty strong crisis mode right now, just in the church as a whole, because there, there, there's some stuff going on. It, it, it's, it's like, man. And I appreciate guys, you know, like Cooper, you know, with Skillet and, and different ones that are even addressing some of, even in their own sector and their own areas of career path and Christian music world and things that it needs to be said. I, I was with Paul Cole this past week. Um, we were celebrating uh, Judy Cole. You know, he's head of Christian Men's Network, and we take our men to Lions Roar, and we do our Christian men's curriculum. And, and again, for manhood, we, we all have issues. We have, we have things that we deal with that we're challenged with that are always assaulting us. The enemy's after us, man. And we need one another. But in that, Paul was talking about, again, just the, the, how vital it is for the Christian Men's Network and for us to rescue men from those, a lot of those bondages, a lot of that stuff that's going on, and to be able to, 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 to use this curriculum and opportunities like Lion's Roar to be able to take men and to be able to see them come into a deeper walk with God. And he told me the story that, that uh, there was a, a, a ministry, if I named it, you'd, you'd know who they were, and they decided to do um, a pastor's conference, minister's conference, out on the West Coast, rented this hotel, rented the whole thing. So there wasn't anybody there but just ministers. Invited, had all these ministers come out just to try and minister to them. And at the end of it, this, this individual with the ministry went down, you know, checking out, clearing out the bill, and this guy behind the counter says, Wow, that, y'all hit an all-time record. He's like, do what? What do you mean all-time record? He's like, most porn downloads from any conference that has ever been here at a minister's conference. Folks, we, it, there needs to be a cry out. Because listen, it's, it's destructive. There ain't no way you can live up to that. And to put your women in bondage over that. I, they, I'm telling you, it's, it's devastating. It's bad. And there needs to be a voice that's addressing some of that. And it's not to condemn anybody. Listen, we need, we need rescue lines. That's why we need Christian Men's Network to be a part of. We need a, I love what Pastor David said at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. Such a powerful word. We need a men's movement. We don't just need a little men's thing going on at a church. Why? Because, listen, men, as we go, the family goes. As the family goes, the culture goes. This nation will go. But if we can recapture this and bring this back to where we live, let God be God in our lives. He, listen, He's provided something so precious and so powerful. Why would we want it? Let's stand to our feet. This morning, I just, there, there may be struggles. There may be personal issues and things that are, that's going on. And, 
And, and I'm just believing to, to be able to just lead us in a prayer. I want to do it as a whole. There's some of you that may be here today that, that for you, maybe this is a very early beginning of just simply saying, man, Pastor, I, I, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you've never done that. To express personal faith, we want to help you. We want to lead you in a prayer. I know what that was like. I know what it was like to know about God but not know God. There's a difference. And you can know him in intimacy. And he's made a way by the blood of Jesus. He provided that sacrifice so that it's, listen, for us, he just made it simple. Just repent, turn away, turn to God, ask forgiveness, and allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you. Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads just for a moment. Father, I just thank you for what I believe you're doing right here in individuals' lives. What's going to be set in motion. And Lord, I think even, I, I, I believe even here today, oh, please listen to me. Prophetically, I'm speaking to someone. Even here today, the trajectory of your legacy is going to change because of the decision you're making. You don't, you don't have to allow that to be passed on and that, that immorality and that thing to, to continue. You, with your decision today, are changing something. Even a small decision can be so powerful and tip something in the other direction that your legacy and what goes forward from this point is going to be different. Now, I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to invite you to just pray this out loud as, as I do this. And we're going to do this for those that may be making Jesus the Lord of their life, rededicating their life, or for all of us just in a fresh commitment to him. If you'll do this and mean this from your heart, I believe God's going to do something special. Let's just pray out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift, the precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We receive that today. Thank you for the blood that's applied here today to our lives. We receive that gift today. We ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us new. By faith, we trust what you accomplished through Jesus Christ was sufficient. It's settled. My life is different. Take full control of my life. Help me to live for you by your loving grace, by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And we receive these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.